0: Mainly because we get a lot of patients that don't really have a working diagnosis or their diagnosis is wrong. And only with more thorough history do we pick up the random things that create that aha moment for a patient. Without the diagnostic part, there's no real prognosis or treatment plan that can be really tailored to fit what we're trying to do. I tell people all the time, we're not throwing a treatment at you. Signing up for a journey with you, a little bit in my mind, right? Like there's a path to wellness.
1: The cellular medicine is not something that you're not having full-blown surgery. That you know it's going to take a couple weeks off your life, or you really have to alter your lifestyle.
0: Ever make it think like it's a magic trick? Because it's not. It's just physiology and anatomy. It's it's the basic. How would your body want to do if it could do it better, and how do we help it establish a healthier pattern after a treatment? Welcome to the Zero Downside podcast with Dr. Wade McKenna, sponsored by MoabTexas.com.
2: Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Zero Downside. Today, we are going to be going through the common questions that are asked about stem cell treatments and basically get a first-hand experience of what it's like to have a treatment done at our clinic. We have um, Ashley here with us today who firsthand gets to take care of these patients, see them in, see them out. And so her and Dr. McKenna will be going through the protocols and the processes as me and Mike kind of lead the way with the common questions as well. So I'm going to let Mike introduce himself and kick us off.
3: Yeah, as always, thank you for the introduction. And and I'm excited about these episodes. I think this is one of those hallmark style episodes where this is a landing page for a lot of patients with questions. You know, we want to clarify processes. And and listen, if if you come into our office, you you generally get introduced through the application process to Hannah. And then at that point, your care moves over to Ashley. And that that's pre-op everything else that we're doing clinically Uh, and then post-op you're going to get that phone call and she's going to check in on you see how you're doing make sure that you know rehab therapy any other recommendations by Dr. McKenna are going well so we just wanted to set this up as a a good landing site for people to be able to get their questions answered preemptively and so I think with that I'll turn it over to our experts and uh,
0: Dr. McKenna and nurse Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) I think that for us, I know that a, a lot of Ashley's job is, um, and we've talked about this a little bit last time that we you know, had her on the show was, that I tend to leave a little bit of a wake because people have 30 minutes with me where I'm putting out all this information and, and, I'll, and I'll make sure we take time. What questions do you have? Is there anything else you need to know? What it, and I'll go through everything And then the minute I walk out of the room, they have the same questions that we just talked about. And and so for me, and it's it's just a lot of information. I can't give someone a medical degree in 30 minutes, although we certainly try, right? Um, But what we want is to kind of demystify the application process. We reached out to Terry Hambrick, Mark Hambrick, some of the patients that have been through this a ton and are coming in from out of state. And just said, you know, what would you like to see in an episode? And their answer was, I would like to see a very detailed kind of walkthrough so that people understand, because they send a lot of people. And they and they end up answering to answer the question. So then that's what ends up happening. I have to answer the questions, then Ashley has to answer the questions. And then the people that sent them to us, they call and ask them questions. And so I think that what we were trying to do with this block of time that we have with with everyone is to kind of walk through just the process, like why we do some of the things we do, because I think that some of the things we do are a little unique. Um, You know, when people say, well, I sent my MRI report, I think that, that, you know, I think that what people need to understand is there are plenty of times that what's in the MRI report doesn't really reflect what we are going to be treating or what we see when I go through the MRI with a patient, right? I mean, that's kind of cleaning up the mess a little bit. What would you define that as?
1: I agree. Um, Also, I think it's, um, to go back to your point of like what the process looks like, I think it's very different with patients who live around our area and in-state versus out-of-state. That's a big difference in what they're seeing because... Um, optimally, I feel like coming in to see you, to be in the room face to face with you and you go over their MRI and show them what's going on. You literally just get, go to the computer screen. You're like, see this, see this, this is exactly what's going on. And they fully understand and comprehend what you're trying to say. And you guys build that relationship and understand, and you guys walk that path together. Um, but it is different for patients out of state. So I feel like the patients out of state have a lot more questions because they're just, they kind of. Although we try our best to portray what you say, it's you know it's coming from you know Hannah gets the application and she brings that in front of you and pulls up their MRI images for you. And although you do go over those, you're not in the room with the patient, so it's hard for us to relay as effectively. No, my chicken that, scratch
0: page is crucially important. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it is. Uh, it is
1: like do not lose that paper <laughs> yeah.
0: because when because that's a big part of it. Is is we never make treatment decisions. For someone based on a, a phone call, yeah. Um, unless it's one of those phone calls like, hey, you know, I, I I just want cells there. But we really, my goal is to never always know why we're treating someone. Mm-hmm. What what is our goal? Like, if I don't understand a goal of treatment, we work really hard to not, you know, waste people's time and money, mm-hmm. as, but especially ours. Yeah. Um, but I think that the out of state application is or the out of the country patient has a lot more learning to do before we get them here um, because we can't have them in two three times most people are getting seen and treated in the same week and and then their post-op is all at the same time and so there is a lot more to convey to them Um, but that it literally starts with the application uh, which we have tried to throw parts out and shorten it and but every time I try to shorten it, we, I feel like we're missing potentially some crucial piece of information because I think history is so important in making sure that mainly because we get a lot of patients that don't really have a working diagnosis or their diagnosis is wrong. And only with more thorough history do we pick up the random things that create that aha moment for a patient. And, mm-hmm. and, and that is literally my goal is... You know, instead of giving you five random diagnoses or saying something's arthritis, like what, where, what is the most likely source of your pain? What would we do to address that source of your pain? And so we have to hone down the diagnosis, rule out some of the extraneous things that, in some people, aren't extraneous. Some, some there are some crucial, really crucial pieces of people's diagnosis that are missing b- before they get to us. I think, and and I and I don't think every patient understands why we work so hard on the diagnostic part, but without the diagnostic part, there's no real prognosis or treatment plan that can be really tailored to fit what we're trying to do. And, and, and it's not some cookie cutter process. Like, you know, everyone with knee pain isn't hurting from the same thing. Everyone with hip pain, I mean, heck, most of the time it's not even their hip, right? And, and it's like arm and hand pain. Well. You know how many diagnoses there are that can cause the kind of pain most people describe as my shoulder hurts? Yeah.
1: And they may feel like a lot of the steps are a little redundant or may have questions of, well, I sent my x rays or my CT. Why do you guys want me to get an MRI? Um, Why is the paperwork so lengthy? Didn't I already answer this? It's, you know, when you live out of state and out of country, um, we're just, we're trying to be in the room with you without being in the room with you. So getting you to fill out the appropriate paperwork, make sure that you get those MRIs, send the report and the disc, all of that, I know it just seems like a hassle, but it is really important um, because we do get that in front of Dr. McKenna and, get that in front of Dr. McKenna with the pictures pulled up and he's reading all of your application to see exactly what your symptoms on. He even has sometimes Hannah call the patient and say, okay, so you were saying this, but is it, you know, are you having these symptoms or X, Y, Z? So it's just really important to gather all that information so that we can, when you live out of state and out of country and you don't have the accessibility to just come into our office, which is optimal, um, for a workup, but, um, we try our best to, to get, everybody taken care of
0: um, there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces yeah right um, we want we always we work really hard at being thorough um, I want to I I don't I tell people all the time we're not throwing a treatment at you we're signing up for a journey with you a little mm-hmm. bit in my yeah. mind right like we there's a path to wellness and, and and usually when I talk to people about wellness or overall health we're not Treating a disease, we're treating a patient, and, and we work really hard at making sure that patients understand that first of all we understand what your goals are right? I mean a lot of people like, you have some pretty lofty goals um, and and I can only try to help you there if I know where it is we're trying to go mm-hmm. right like you can't just get in a boat and set out in the open water without having a, a destination and and so I think that a lot of it for us is just trying to define. Where are you at? What are you wanting? And then come up with a treatment plan of, you know, how best can we get you there once we kind of uncover, but there's a lot, it's kind of like uncovering puzzle pieces sometimes. And there's a lot of aha moments in our clinic because we're a little more thorough than what you're going to get with a lot of corporate medicine, right? I mean, I think a lot of of corporate medicine, and I want to start calling it that instead of Or Western medicine, but but we're certainly not going to call it modern medicine anymore because I don't think it's modern. I think it's 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 sponsored, corporate-sponsored medicine maybe. But that delivery mode I think is is really broken because it's not patient-centric. It's system-centric. Like it's best for the system if we have this code and this code and this code, and you fit nice and neat in there. I don't think that a lot of our patients have really. There's so many people that come in. They didn't even understand why they were hurting. And they'd seen three or four doctors already. Mm-hmm. And they still don't even know the source of their pain yet, let alone how to treat it. And and so we're trying to educate and teach as well as treat. And, and I think that that's a, um, a really comprehensive, difficult ball to move forward sometimes. But I think that only with educating people on, so that they get an understanding of why I hurt, what does this, what does that. Can, then you can kind of you, then you don't have to have all the answers to all the questions if you kind of understand what's going on with you and we've kind of described why you hurt I think it's a lot easier to understand oh that's why it hurts when I do this or that's why I can't do this right because you ha- you have a more full understanding of what the real issue is mm-hmm. makes sense yeah.
2: I think um, if we tap into that unique approach that you have that we have started recently implementing of in the beginning of the process, you fill out all the paperwork, like Ashley said, even if it's sometimes a hassle to get all of this stuff together. But once we have all of that, that's when I come in and I ask you, okay, what are your goals? Like, what are your expectations? What type of lifestyle do you want to be living that your pain is enabling you from doing right now? And then that allows me to communicate it to Dr. McKenna, so he starts to perceive your treatment plan a lot differently than just knowing what's wrong with them. And I think if you kind of explain why you have that treatment paradigm of the goal now as a factor, yeah. you know how does that alter your whole decision making in a plan of care?
0: Well, there's a, usually another physician phone call in the middle of all mm-hmm, that, right? Mm-hmm, it,
2: yes. It, it,
0: I go through all the films, I go through the history, I go through the analysis, and a lot of times I have more questions for the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually either a Hannah or a Dr. Phillips phone call, uh, or an Ashley phone call. But there's, it's probably, and, and a lot of times it's a mix of all three of those, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, there there are times where we have to get another physician on the phone with the patient to, to, to vet out a little bit of history. Uh, especially if there's an, oh, by the way, I have a bleeding disorder. Oh, well, that's, pretty important piece of information that we didn't know before we were talking about signing up for orthopedic journey with you. Right. Um, So I think that there's a lot of interesting tidbits we pick out by being a little bit more thorough.
3: I think education is a big part of the component, right? So you'll have a patient that applies or wants to come see you and their complaint is hip pain. And once they're in the room with you and they're talking, and then you explain the use of, of bone marrow. And you explain the use of the cells that we utilize and the other therapies that we can incorporate it becomes hey while we're there can you look at my wrist you know can you look at my elbow hey i've, I've had this shoulder it got operated on in you know 2006 and it's never been the same should i expect better of it so can you walk us through really the transition in in your patient paradigm as Hannah put it earlier, where you're, you're addressing one issue, but it kind of opens the door for others because that's very unusual from the business perspective to have uh, a specialist such as yourself, take one area of concern in the hip. And now it it kind of moves into a whole body approach. And so can you walk us through that process? Yeah. I I
0: think some of it's just, um, I never want to waste like, I never want to waste someone being under anesthesia. And, you know, growing up the way I did, we used to, you know, make hay while the sun shines, right? Like, if you're flying in and you're going to sleep, the anesthesiologist gets paid to put you asleep and wake you up. He didn't care how many, how busy I am while you're asleep. And and how busy I am while I'm asleep is really tied into what are our goals in your treatment. Like, I don't want, it. it happens that, you know, someone will come in, talk about their knees, and and we have some of the coolest new toys ever now. Uh one of the we were talking before the show that one of the more dissatisfying things to treat early on is kind of the low-hanging fruit, I meaning talking about cartilage growth in a knee. But it takes a long time. So people get treated, and it's three to four months before people are really well down the road of seeing a difference. And with cool leaf it turns that into a couple weeks. Because initially with the block, you'll see a big difference. But it can take, as Ashley's pointed out, a couple weeks because of some of the swelling associated with the procedure. You can be a little sore and stiff after that. And then as the soreness wears away from the actual procedure, people see a fairly significant difference in their pain level. But it's not because the stem cells are kicked in and they're growing cartilage at two weeks. It's because the ablation worked Mm -hmm. and it's starting to kick in and the nerves going away. But when we're doing that for someone it's heartbreaking that when we have someone asleep and and i always feel like i missed and we're moving them over and someone go oh be careful like i can't hardly move my shoulder and you're like
1: how many times in pre-op what have people said oh well if you have any extra can you just put yeah. some here because of this hey i
0: can't th- hardly move my thumb anymore i forgot yeah. but while i'm asleep and you're just looking how at many them,
1: times do you have the patient in the gown IV hooked up and you're like can we get some x-rays of this? Let's do this. Let's look at this. What because are Because it subjects? panics
0: me in pre-op, right? Ashley, and Ashley will see the look on my face, and it messes up her timing because she's very, and that's why I love her so much, is she's very regimented and, and strict in her thought processes on my steps I need to take. And so when I step out of the lane and go, hey, let's do a standing mm-hmm. film inspection this real quick, and Ashley will look at me. I'll get the look. Um mm-hmm. And But it's because the patient brought something up. Now, I spent an hour with them the day before. We've talked to him on the phone for an hour. Dr. Phillips has talked to him. H- Hannah's talked to him. We went through a 20-page application with them. And none of, at no point did they say, oh, by the way, I haven't been able to move my arm in five years. And you're just like, why would that be acceptable? Like, you're here to treat your knee, but you realize that while you're asleep, you have frozen shoulder.
1: I think we're opening the door to them understanding that, hey, you know, if I'm here for regenerative medicine and he can do this with my shoulder. I, you know, come to think of it, my shoulder really hurts, but also my knee, but my shoulder hurts worse, but can you, would that help? And so I think that's a positive thing in opening the patient's minds And I do think
0: that what happens after that visit, they go home, they go to the hotel that night and they're like, oh my gosh. Like, because they're a little overwhelmed with some of the information, but they're just like, oh my gosh, well, if you put cells there and it turns off the inflammatory part, I wonder, I wonder if that would have helped my shoulder. Mm-hmm. But they didn't ask during the day. And they'll ask the next morning. And And sometimes it's as easy as, you know, we're plenty of patients that are in pre-op in a gown with your IV in. We're walking them over into x-ray and doing a standing film or a, a, a 30-30 shoulder or a true AP. Just to make sure that someone didn't have a lot of pre-existing arthritic disease that maybe there's a way, like, I don't always have to have an MRI treat you. Mm-hmm. I need to know what it is our goal is. Like, if your shoulder's frozen, even if you have a tear, you still have a frozen shoulder with, and I, I can put, because we do an arthrogram at the time of that procedure, if I put dye in your shoulder, it leaks out, I know where your tear is. Like I can inject where the tear is. Now, if you have a big full fitness tear, are we going to make a, a really sound treatment decision on a, on a comprehensive plan on a shoulder without an MRI? Not very often. But if we're doing another body part, and this is an oh, by the way, most of the time with a little bit more detailed physical exam of that body part, a few questions through history and maybe a couple films. It, it It, Our goal is always to deliver the most comprehensive care available while you're asleep. Right. And there are plenty of, of times that that plan involves a little more than we would like um, because I really want to uncover all those stones for people before they get to that point. But I do think that the patients kind of see the light after talking to us. And maybe that's the best way to think about it is they kind of, Start seeing the possibilities of other areas being treated, right? I agree.
2: And so you kind of get the perspective of: hey, you send in everything, Dr. McKenna reviews, you may have three or four phone calls between me and Dr. Phillips before we actually scheduled the procedure, which is falls on every Thursday. And the visit typically with Dr. McKenna, I always say your physical evaluation, because nothing is truly confirmed until that physical evaluation. <laughs> And um, I think that part is one of the most crucial moments like you're discussing of they're finally getting to sit in front of you and have that face to face and you can ask and answer all those questions directly. Um, And then I think that one of the biggest questions I get is as that week approaches and I move this over to Ashley on how can they most prepare themselves, especially when they're out of state and they can't come in like, you know, do some IV treatments, really like prepare their cellular composition to prepare for this procedure. And so for the out-of-state patients, what would you say your most given advice is to prepare for the procedure? You
0: know, what's the most important pre-op discussion you have, yeah. to have with patients?
2: They
1: really um, just don't know what to expect. So am I, am I going to hurt? Do I need somebody to help take care of me? Um, what's my mobility going to be like? Am I going to be able to walk after... Dr. McKenna does whatever, injects my knees, cool leaf. People really don't know. they They're like, "Am I gonna go home on a walker? Do I have crutches? Do I need somebody to help me shower?" And for the most part, the answer to that is you're you're pretty self-sufficient. Yeah, you might be sore, um, but you're full weight bearing as tolerated by pain and swelling. that's the that's pretty much. We don't really do anything like the, the cellular medicine is not something that you're, you're not having full-blown surgery that, you know, you, it's going to take a couple weeks off of your life or you really have to alter your lifestyle. Um, it's, I hate, you know, minimally invasive, all this blanket terminology, but, and even regenerative medicine, but, um, for the most part, we're doing injections. They're, they're injections. There's um, very
0: little downtime. Yeah associated with what we do. And, and it's not like downtime makes you better, right? So for me, we will go, well, does, does cartilage grow better if I don't bear weight do need to
1: lay in bed all, yeah. yeah. No.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? The cartilage, here's how cool the human body is. It will grow cartilage better when the knee is activated with weight bearing because it will know where to go because it will respond to the load of stress. You don't grow a lot of cartilage on the non-weight bearing surface. Mm-hmm. You, your body will focus on healing the weight bearing surface while it's under stress. So activity is good, right? I mean, you know, when people say, well, you know, when can I go back to doing this? Well, how long has it been since you did that? Well, I did it yesterday. Well, look, anything you did yesterday, you should be able to do by the end of this week, right? Like, I'm not gonna, we're not going backwards. I want you to try to slowly work your way back into doing as tolerated by pain and swelling. And And I think that, that there's a lot of that's most of the communication. I think, um, pre-op or the post-op question is when can I do this again? Well,
1: when can I go back to exercising? When can I do, when can I do leg presses? When can I do arms? Can I just go to the gym? Say they had a cool leaf and a knee injection and can I work upper body? Absolutely. Um, I immediately, I would say like the immediate, post-operative questions. If you're flying in from out of town or you're driving in, definitely bring a family member, a spouse, a friend, whoever to help, you know, just in case you don't feel like driving or don't feel like getting on a plane by yourself, um, bring somebody with you. Obviously, when you get out of anesthesia, you need a responsible party. Yeah. So, a lot of people.
0: Um, we spend a lot of time talking to people before and right at right before and after anesthesia. And they won't remember anything. They don't
1: remember anything. So definitely, yeah, bring yeah. a responsible party that you trust and um, and for that companionship as well. Um, but I mean, people for the most part get home great, and they're like, "Oh wow, that I wasn't expecting to be that mobile," or "Yeah, right. I was a little sore." but everything was great. Um, so I, I really feel like that just, it depends on the body part that they're getting injected, how much they use that extremity or, you know, say they get back injections. Um, yeah, you're going to have some soreness and some feeling of fullness because Dr. McKenna is injecting, this is what I tell everybody, Dr. McKinnon is injecting a space that's not used to having that much fluid. So So you're going to feel a feeling of fullness, um, maybe some muscle spasms from, you know, your back. Um, but, After somebody gets their neck injected, I never hear, you know, cross my fingers. But of any issues like that, no no feeling of fullness, they feel better. The more invasive
0: we are with with that procedure, the things we worry about most, the patients that are hurting the most before they get to us, Mm -hmm. are the ones that kind of do best quickest, right? Mm -hmm. Like the the long-term arthritic stuff is the things that take a while, but it's not uncommon. And we were talking before, like, what's the thing that, that we worry most about that people get better? Like, some of these cervical epidurals or lumbar.
1: They have more where, mobility. Oh, yeah.
0: they, they, I mean, they're, they're literally that turning day. their neck that day and thinking. Or the, the patient that'll they come back before they get on their plane and they walk in and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, I can move my hip today. Or well, look at this with their shoulder, mm-hmm. right? Because we are trying to mobilize things while you're asleep, inject mm-hmm. tissue around it. Now, there are times where you're going to, especially like a, a rotator cuff injection where you have a partial thinness tear. I'm getting ready to, to inflate that a little mm-hmm. bit. And if it already doesn't have enough room that it's tearing up and I inflate it, you're going to be sore and stiff a little bit. But I've moved it around while you're asleep. I broke loose some of that scar and then I'm injecting the tissue. So as that puffiness or the swelling that we're inducing with the cells, as that kind of starts to reside and you get... That pro-inflammatory effect, where you start getting some of the remodeling, that usually goes away within the first two weeks, and it's not like having surgery where, you know, I, I'm taking a, a you know a couple of weeks out of your life to get through that, um, especially a back or a neck. Like yeah. having been through a lot of that, you know, five back surgeries, a couple neck surgeries, there wasn't ever one of those that I came back the next day and felt like talking to people. <laughs> um, but it, it's not that's not uncommon with the procedures we're doing in the clinic. Yeah.
3: So we, we talk about mobilizing a tight space that may not have moved in a while, whether it's cervical, shoulder, you know, toe, perhaps. Um, and it's it's not that the cells have immediately taken effect in healing. You're talking about mobilizing something that's kind of been frozen or stuck for a prolonged period of time, especially in the neck, you know, yeah, with, with my wife, her her ability to turn her head that evening. And we didn't even realize it, you know, because prior to the injections, I think in August, we we took care of her neck. You know, you'd, you'd sit and watch TV or do something with the kids and you'd notice to turn to the right, she would do this. She would do one of these little pantomimes over to the side. And then that evening after the injection, because of the, the mobilization of the scarred down tissue, she was able to turn her head and had more function than she'd had in two years. So what, what leads to that?
0: Yeah, I, I have the best analogy I can think of because the joint capsules, the epidural space, the space around nerves, everything that we treat, everything that goes wrong with the human body is really based around inflammation. And if we can lower the inflammatory load, we're going to make a difference long-term. But what we also have to do is kind of clean up the mess that inflammation has left. And so when everything is all scarred and tight, I, I use the analogy all the time of if there's a, a balloon, a deflated balloon in the back of your car in Texas in August, it, it's all adherent, right? It, 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 it melts into, into itself. And the way to think of the shoulder is when it it gets all adherent because of the inflammation, the, the knee, the, the ankle, Achilles tendon, the epidural space within your neck, um, all these spaces or even spaces around the tendon, um, chronically injured tendon that gets all adherent to the skin and immobility and swelling and pain. Every time you try to do something a little bit more, it tears a little loose and swell up the way I think of that adherent balloon is if you could kind of blow in it a little bit and massage it, you don't just pull it apart. That would, that would probably tear up the balloon. But if you kind of blow in it, that's kind of what we're doing with the cells. I'm trying to break loose the adhesions from inside by filling it up and getting it moving. I think the hip is, is probably one of the more dramatic examples because I didn't, we, we changed my thinking and the way we do that injection so much compared to what we did 10, 15 years ago where 10 to 15 years ago, I was trying to get a couple drops of the most potent solution in the right place. And and people did did well, but we were able to dramatically turn that around when I started overfilling that hip against resistance with a bigger needle and a smaller syringe to generate more pressure and and do 10 cc's of volume in that joint. Now we're breaking loose under force some of those adhesions so when people wake up, just to have that inflammatory load kind of broke loose a little bit, if you do that with steroids or local, it just scars right back in. Because steroids and local are both catabolic, meaning they tear apart proteins. There's no controversy on that. Corticosteroids destroy, they kill cartilage, kill joints, adhere capsule. They destroy protein. It's catabolic, meaning to break apart. Anabolic steroids are illegal in most instances. Anabolic would be to build up. I don't know why it's okay to tear stuff apart and not okay to build it up. That's just one of those things I tell people all the time, and that's that's just proof that some of the three-letter agencies don't love you, right? Because every doctor's office in the country has a bottle of corticosteroids, and we, gosh, just to write testosterone or some of the anabolic supplements for people, it's like reinventing the wheel. It's easier to write narcotics. So the three-letter agencies don't always have your best interests at heart when we say that. Not yes. Thank adhesion. you. Thank and you. even for- that may get this episode canceled like they did a couple episodes ago. But if we break loose those adhesions from inside and the hip is the best instance of how my thinking on that's changed. I used to all think it was about cartilage growth. Now I'm more and more convinced that the, the joint space that the actual articular surface doesn't even have that great of a nerve because you can have a pretty crummy hip and people are still doing fine. But it, once that capsule scars in And once you get that secondary pain feedback loop of inflammation, every time you twist or turn a little bit and have that little micro tearing in the capsule and it gets inflamed and swells, if I break that loose, people do better faster and it's less likely to just recur. And you don't always have to have all the cartilage in the world to not hurt. You need a little bit more than when you started hurting, but we have to lower your inflammatory load and get mobility because new blood flow, washing all that bad stuff out, is the way that your body can kind of reestablish a healthier environment it's all about homeostasis we have to return health of that joint and the only way to do that is get the bad stuff gone and give your body a chance at generating better quality healthier tissue and and that's it's not reinventing the wheel all the time um, it just has to be thought of in a in a more systematic way of delivering something that, that meets all the little points on a flowchart. We're not just putting a dart in one part of the board. right? We're trying to come up with a, a, a process to get you better mobilized and in less pain. And sometimes it's, it's more than one area that I'm treating. And sometimes the area that I'm treating isn't even the area you thought was causing your pain. But usually it makes sense to people by the time we have it explained to them and treat them. It doesn't always make sense on the phone. It makes sense when I'm on physical exam and I show a patient, look, see you have range of motion in your hip. Or look, you can't externally rotate, right? Or, hey, you know what? You have great range of motion in your hip and you have no groin pain. This isn't your hip, right? It's a disc at four or five. You do an MRI of their back and they have a tear and, the nerve, and they have lateral calf pain. And I never thought about that. How did you know it hurts below my knee, right? Or 3-4 disc. Yes, right.
1: and you do do that. Um, and so back to Hannah's, um, when she was trying to get the process as to, you know, what we do, um, the frequently asked questions we got to, but the week prior or before they come in, the nurses, either I or Chris, our other nurse in our clinic, she's calling to vet medications. So not everybody is very forthcoming in their medications on the application, just because they either don't know how to spell it, they don't remember, there's too many to list, or what have you. But we're making sure that you're not on any- um, Blood thinners before surgery. Blood thinners. Um, also, the weight loss drugs. Um, you got
0: Some of the peptides, you have to stop at least a week beforehand, maybe two weeks beforehand, because it slows down bowel function, and we don't want to put you sleep and something in your stomach end up in your lungs. So, so there's a lot of the history is 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 meant to make sure that you don't get your procedure canceled while you're here yes
1: and if you have a significant cardiac history we need to we're going to make sure that you see your cardiologist because the anesthesiologist wants to see like what's your recent ekg look like um are you is your cardiologist okay with you having this procedure are are you heart healthy enough to forego this um or go on with this procedure right like
0: what's especially if you have a history of of an arrhythmia or something like that yeah
1: yeah so um that's typically when they ask all their pre-op questions if they have any um concerns or you know the unknowns try to get the unknowns answered as best that they can um and then then they do see you so we schedule you have a clinic day right before your thursday procedure days right now it's thursday but um if anybody's Thursday watching this Friday, in the future, yeah. you never know, Yeah, who knows? Um, what day it'll be, yeah. but we, you do have, you do open the clinic day, typically the day before so that you can have you, so you are going to get that face to face with Dr. McKenna. Um, you're, he's going to, although he's been through your paperwork, he's been through your medications, he's been through your imaging, he's seen everything that you've given him and went over that with Hannah. You've had the phone call from Dr. Phillips. You've had a phone call from Hannah. You've had a phone call from one of the nurses you're gonna to get to meet with Dr. McKenna before you have your procedure the day before. We're gonna go over all your pre-op instructions. If, if we haven't already, we're gonna do it again. Um, and then Dr. McKenna is gonna lie his hands on you. <laughs> He's gonna say, okay, so this is the plan. This is what I said, but is there anything, you know, anything we need to go over, anything that we possibly missed? Can we get some x-rays? Let's look over this MRI together. So you're gonna get that. Um, and I think that that really helps settles people's mind and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Like, yes, all the girls were great. Talking to everybody was wonderful, but I just, it really all made sense. Dr. McKenna really put it together when I got to sit down and go over this with him. So, um, I think that's important because that, that really, I mean, I hear that like you leave the room and then they're like, Oh my gosh, it was amazing. I, would, I, I just can't believe n- nobody knows about like, this more. I, this is the first time I've ever heard about this. This is so.
0: Yeah, and, we, and we just had the discussion in the hallway. And we go 20 years, right? Like, seriously, like, we're talking about, talk about a famous athlete that tore his Achilles, and it's like, I, even I was amazed because you know, we wrote a paper 2014 on training. Going back through the literature in the last 10 years, the amount of literature that's been written on healing of chronic tendon injuries with use of bone marrow stem cells is, is, is profound, right? There's no, uh, you know, it, we get trolls on the, the TikTok or trolls on Instagram or trolls on, and not a lot of people on the YouTube, on, on, the, on the podcast channel have, have been negative because I think it's hard to watch the episode and how specific and detailed we try to be and come away from it thinking, oh, well, they don't know what they're doing. I think that that's not the, the impression you're going to get if you listen to my staff talk. We're going to make sure that you understand what we're doing. But I think that when you get these trolls in there like, oh, well, it's not published and it's not approved. It's like, oh, my Lord. Like, this is the 20-year-old process. And we, and the, especially the bone marrow aspirate concentrate part of this. Like, to be able to take someone's concentrated bone marrow and help complicated fracture patterns heal better, to treat non-unions, to treat chronic tendon injuries, to improve the outcomes. The 10-year follow-up on the rotator cuff paper, we quote all the time, was published in 2014. That was the 10-year follow-up. That wasn't the six-month follow-up. The six-month follow-up was profound. The 10-year follow-up was dramatic. Like, if you didn't have cells, only 40% of the time is it still intact. If you did have marrow, there wasn't amnion, there wasn't a patch. It was It was just the most... It was the way we were doing it between 2002 and 2004. Bone marrow ops were concentrate into the cuff at the time of the repair. And 87% of the time, if you had that done, you're still intact at 10 years. If you didn't, 44% of the time. That was published, the 10-year follow-up was published a decade ago. So it's not like there's a sparsity of literature out there. Um, And I think that we worked really hard to kind of demystify the process a little bit. But in our minds, you got to patients need to understand this is kind of every day. Like we don't have, this isn't some magic wand, pull a sheet out from underneath non reproducible thing. That's a, it's not a bunch of one offs. Like we have a very systematic approach to what we do so that we don't ever make it think like it's a magic trick because it's not, it's just physiology and anatomy. It's, it's the basic, how would your body want to do if it could do it better? And how do we help it establish a healthier pattern after a treatment, right? And, and the pre-op, the post-op, the questions that Ashley will get three separate times, right, we'll, we'll answer the same question a lot for people, but I do think that after my visit with them, and, I, and, and but then it starts all to, all a whole different together. set of questions comes up, right? Because then they're like, oh, wow, well, you know what? Now what about, gosh, he said that fractures, like I've had a fracture on my wrist that has been there for 20 years. They told me I was just arthritic and someday I need it fused. That would have been important information while we had you where we could get some Mm films, right? And so I think that there's that. And then the day of surgery is hopefully pretty clear because when people come in, they should have understand what we're going to do. They've had. They've been talked to before they got there about what we were going to do. We talked to them with me on the exacts of the procedure. The nurses come in and answer questions after that. And then that morning when they come in...
1: They get to talk to you again. They get
0: to see me again uh, with their family. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going over the treatment protocol. I mark all of our extremities. We go through and, and I create our little protocol wish list of what we're going to put where. Um, and... Actually, gets her IV started or anesthesia yeah. um, and they meet with anesthesia too. Yeah. They so get to talk to him first. Um,
1: more often than not, they're kind of worried more about the bone marrow draw. They don't know what to expect from harvesting the bone marrow. And I know that you've already had a podcast episode in regards to what that all entails, but truly Dr. McKenna is very efficient. It's quick. Um, you have one stitch in your hip. It's not a dissolvable stitch. It comes out in seven to 10 days. It's a simple stitch. You can get it out yourself or you can have a family member get it out. If you guys can't, then you can come to the office or go to a medical facility, your regular doctor. It is a simple stitch. Um, most people are so worried about it. And then they're like, oh, I'm I forgot about that. Like, there's a Band-Aid here. What is this? I don't feel it. Or it's just a little sore when I increase my activity, but it's nothing that a Tylenol can't fix.
0: Um, I think that I always want to cover that every time we talk about bone marrow aspirate because everyone is so, look, if it was still reinventing the wheel to get bone marrow, there wouldn't be all these great regenerative type of uses for it. We would still only be doing bone marrow harvesting and aspiration if you had leukemia or lymphoma. We'd be treating bone cancer. Um, that's, that's what those bone marrow harvests were traditionally for diagnostic. We've made it a pretty seamless three to five minute procedure that, especially if you're asleep and we do, do we have to do plenty of Um, but if, if you're asleep, you literally go to sleep. You wake up after the first three to five minutes because that's how long it takes to do the marrow draw and it takes about 20 minutes to spin the, the marrow down uh, to concentrate it because raw bone marrow is just not very effective. But we'll, spend, we'll, we'll concentrate it, create bone marrow hospital concentrate, and um, which is a lot like the PRP process, You know, taking whole blood and converting it down to something more useful. Um, we'll do that with your bone marrow and create a stem cell substrate of your cells. But People kind of wake back up during the procedure And they'll look and go, "Hey, are you guys going to start?" We're like, "Where are we done?"
1: Yeah, you do bone marrow draws every Thursday on our procedure days, and then also you you do traditional surgery at a big hospital. So you do bone marrow draws on almost every one of those surgeries. So this is something that you're doing multiple times a week, um, different days. So I
0: mean, I think that we I think the number is somewhere north of twenty thousand bone marrow draws, and so yeah, because because traditional surgery, you know, for for 20 years i was doing 60 to to 80 surgeries a month and and it's not uncommon especially in the clinic when we're when we have someone to sleep because a lot of times with multiple joints it's about volume that we'll do a draw on both sides because we need more volume and and the cell count we're so efficient now that the cell count is remarkably similar um, from one side to the other like whatever i'm able to get from one side i can get from the other Um, and that pretty much will be normal cell count is back within a couple of weeks we could literally draw you every couple of weeks that's but, what I was
1: gonna say yeah. we get we get that question a lot patients are like oh well he's drawn this when will when will my my bone marrow return yeah. when will my cell count be as it was before or will it ever go back to the way it was before dr. McKenna drew my bone marrow and the answer is
0: uh, for sure right I mean that's it's it's a live space right we're literally here's the part that does look like a magic trick sometimes to me because I think it's just so Cool. I mean look I'm still incredibly fascinated by what we do that's what the motivation is is I don't want to ever get bored with what we do so uh, we have to make this where it's interesting and the thing that keeps it interesting is our results patients have driven the science for what we do but when we stick a catheter into a space that only holds about 10 cc's and i draw 60 cc's from it how does it happen well, because we're causing a retrograde blood flow, we're washing those encrypted cells out because where they want to stay, and we're washing them into my syringe. That, those cells, re, re, you recreate that all the time, right? Those cells are mobilized to help you handle stress and everything else. So those are the only cells you have. So your bone marrow recreates that volume on a continual basis. Now, 10 years from now, are you gonna have exactly the same number of cells that I drew out when I drew your cell? No but a couple weeks, are you? Yeah. For the next couple of years, are you? Yeah. I mean, your cell volume falls off slowly over time, but that's still the only cell you have that's doing all the work. So even if you don't have that many, it's still crucial for us to take the ones you have and concentrate them. And your body will fill that space back up very, very quickly. And you'll heal the hole. That's the other the question we get. What? How long does that hole stay? That hole, you, you don't really leak very much because I created a a way of creating like a fat band aid over top of that little hole. So you don't get a lot of bleeding and bruising. Um, but that hole fills in very, very quickly. Like we could literally, if I came back within a couple weeks, that hole is already filled in. I'm having to redrill. I can't just put the catheter in the hole cause it's not a hole anymore. Yeah. You fill that in very quickly.
1: So when the patients wake up in the recovery room, they're greeted by Dr. Phillips. So we have Dr. Phillips to a just make sure physician that... Physician recovery room. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they wake up um, we, as soon as they're, they've they come to... And plus, patients wake up really nicely from what we do, IV sedation. sedation. Um, so a lot of people are, oh my gosh, I don't do well with anesthesia. I throw up. I get so sick. And that's just not the case. Um,
0: For the most part, it, that's usually a complication of the medicines they were given to go to sleep. We work really hard at, I don't say clean, but it's more of a clean procedure in that we're using a lot of propofol, but we don't complicate the matter with a lot of fentanyl or with um, Versed very often at all, because the narcotic effects of those drugs can be a little bit more profound um, than just going to sleep and waking up, which is the goal of propofol. Most of what we do should kind of be like having a colonoscopy without the embarrassing recovery room experience of everyone in the room. Um, so <laughs> anyone that's had a colonoscopy will get that. It's an inside <laughs> joke for those over 50. Um, and if you're not over 50, just, write. um, humiliation is an important part of growth. <laughs> so, um, but I think that the, for the most part, recovery room experiences are pretty pleasant, um, in, in the way we have our facility set up. We have a really nice preop. We have a great uh, recovery room experience and we have a really private OR. Um, and, and, you know, all the business guys eh, will, will talk all the time about why you lease the space out. Like we need, there are days when you're not back there. We could make, you know, this space is such a unique and you can lease it. And my answer has always been no. I don't like other people in our space because it's a lot like when your kids come home from college and you can't find the scissors, right? Like we don't have that because the only people in that space are me, you, Chris, Mike, anesthesia, like that's it. Like there's not, there's a very definitive line and Hannah made the point on procedure days. There's like a line in the hallway that no one comes past. Right. And that is, is that way for a reason? Like
1: we're busy. uh, And and, and
0: especially with the the two of us, we're a little bit specific in how we want things done. I feel personally attacked. I just want you to know. I I no, I think it's important
3: I, I came to, around.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. I yeah, Mike would try to approach me on a day with a business and and, and there's no time for that until there's no patient left. Um on patient days, I want to think about I want to be completely absorbed in the experience and enjoy it because it's the only it's my carve out time. Like, you know, we talk people talk about their happy place. That's it for me.
3: It's the fun if part. It's,
0: if it's patient, yeah, we get to do the cool part, right? I always say, I just want to show up and do the cool part. For me, the cool part is that focused patient experience where I'm not doing anything else other than worrying about what is our goal for that patient, where are they at. It's, I relook at everyone's films. Like, there's a lot more going on in here than it should look like. And, and we always make the joke, and facetiously, but not really, that if it looks like a guy's struggling, he is. And so we don't want ever that. And and so I've usually reviewed the films, not only with the patient that day, I'll review them again that morning. A lot of times I'll have a question that night because I overthink everything I do through the day and it's not uncommon for me to come in and ask, Ashley, can you pull those films up again for me? I, th- I had a thought about this and I want to ask them about, do they have that? And I'm still working through things in my head because a lot of times patients will have a question about something and we'll be like, uh, I don't really think, you know, I wouldn't do that. But then I'll continue to process that, and I'll come back in the morning. and Go, hey, I have this idea. Like, if they really have this and this, I think let me talk to them this morning. But I'm going to examine them. Can you shoot one more film? Like, there is some. Like, that's the fun part of what we do, is I look upon it like it's. It, you know, sometimes it's being a detective, sometimes it's it's you know being a healer. Sometimes it's being a combination of a lot of cool things. But for the most part, I don't want anything. Extraneous getting in the way of that day. And, and so we don't lease out that space. Why? Because I don't ever want to not be able to find stuff. I want everything to be where it was supposed to be. I, 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 Ashley knows, our, we have very specific park outs. Like we're never, hey, I never ask for something and go, oh, we don't have it. <sighs> like I can't even imagine. Like you can't, every surgeon and what patients need to know is in a hospital. That happens all the time. Hey, where's this? Oh, well, that's being wrapped, or we don't have an extra. That they used it this morning. It's still down. No one. It's like this case has been booked for a month. Like you know what I use. Here's the list. You guys have a list that you pull. That's why is that not in the room? That we don't. The reason that we don't do a lot of these procedures in a public setting is because it, there's a lot of little things that can go wrong that are really really crucial and can't be missed at the point where I. Where we need it to be able to accomplish our task, and we don't have that problem in our clinic because we don't lease out the space. We don't, they, but we, we've tailored it to where we shouldn't have a question that we can't answer for a patient, and there shouldn't be anything of oh I don't know we've never had that happen or we would have like there's not a lot of like if someone has a question we should generally there should be three or four people in our clinic that can answer it. So I think the the goal for us. To, Today, let's get, let's go back where we were at the application. I think we the reason for the detailed application is because we don't want to miss stuff. Like I get it's redundant, kinda, but you know there are times where even after you fill out that application, people still have a lark that they'll bring up in the history. Um, Ashley talks to them, Hannah talks to them, Dr. Phillips talks to them. Then they meet with me again after I've gone through all the films and made the, my little. Treatment outline of what, and, and most of the time, even in my treatment outline, there's some questions. Are they having this and this and this symptom because it's not on the sheet? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> then we meet, go over it again. Then Ashley and Chris clean up that visit, and then they show up for the procedure. And genuinely, they should have had about three different opportunities to have every question answered. Um, but the, the other best reason for a family member to be with you at that office visit is so you have another set of ears that's not overwhelmed and not as worried about the procedure hopefully, and is able to focus more on taking everything in and, and just helping you make sure that y- you remember everything we said.
1: Yes, right? and medications are called in for the patient the day before the procedure so they have plenty of time to go get their post-operative medication so they're not stressing the day of. And um, when they leave after Dr. Phillips has recovered them, they leave with their family member. Um, Chris calls them the next day. So that day would be Friday. She calls, hey, how are you doing? How was your night? Do you have any questions that I can answer for you right now? Here's our phone number. If you need anything, you should already have it. But if you, you know, lost yeah. it or whatever. let Just make sure shuffle. that we, yeah,
0: now that yeah. you're fully awake. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: She calls them on, on Friday and tries to answer any other questions that they may have. So, um, and we're always available. I mean, no question. And they always say like, you know, there's no stupid questions, but people just forget they're overwhelmed with all of the information because this is a a lot lot. of the time, the first time that they're hearing, this is my actual problem, or this is how to treat it conservatively.
2: Um,
1: and I think it's really important. You said something earlier, um, you were saying that you know the patient asks something and you are you think about it constantly even overnight. I think that's important um, for people to know that you you're not one of those doctors that this is what I said and I'm sticking by what I say. You yeah. think about you think outside of the box and well could there be you know you actually listen to them and you think of alternatives um, not just well I said this and this is how it normally is. So because what we do is not normal.
0: No. And, and, and look, I, I've said for a long time, I don't need 50 randomized prospective studies to understand how, how, what the problem is and how to make it better. As long as it makes physiologic sense, like this is what the body would do. This is how it would heal. This is the problem. This is how you would get rid of inflammatory or scar or whatever. As long as I understand a, a, a rationale that doesn't violate physiology, anatomy, or basic pathophysiologic processes, there may be a lot of ways to skin a cat that we haven't thoroughly vetted yet. And I have no problem being able to think outside the box a little bit if there's a little less invasive way or more inclusive way to take care of several problems at once. like I, I, I That's the reason I still like what we do, is because it's still very, very interesting, and no one has all the answers yet. Um, everyone's a little different and the human body and your set of problems is always a little unique. That's the reason I hate cramming everyone into a code and treating a code instead of treating a patient. We're trying to treat a patient.
3: I think that's a big point to make and to emphasize. If anything, this episode has walked you through the process as a patient and, and the multiple attempts and and to get you involved in your own care and asking the right questions and helping us to diagnose better. I think your strength is your ability to diagnose and, and come up with things. But the other thing that is a benefit to the patient is we've we've kind of taken you out of the box. You know, we don't say, Hey, you can only treat the patient based on these four codes. You can only, Oh, well, if you're you seeing Medicare like yes. that,
0: they, you know, you can't even talk about like they limit, you, you can't have an all inclusive visit because yeah. you're only getting two codes and, and anything outside of that, they can claw back on the patient or whatever. So it's, you know, there's, there is some freedom that, and, and more inclusivity and actually feeling listened and heard that comes to, seeing uh, outside corporate medicine approach to your problem. I don't think every problem fits into a diagnosis code. No. Um, and it, especially, when you, what, especially when you have a bunch of them, right? Like it's rare. You know, I tell people all the time that, and, and facetiously I always say that, you know, God's not always great at making you perfect, but he's real big on symmetry. So if you have something wrong on one side, you almost always have the same thing wrong on the other. If it's an anatomic problem, that predisposed you to overuse or, or injury. And especially, there's so many areas of the body, the knee, a plaque in the knee underneath the kneecap, three to 5% of the population, right? Uh, type 2 acromion, about 10, 15% of the population, and that's about 85% of the people tear a cuff, right? I mean, so there's all these little anatomic variations that do result in chronic injuries and problems in people with certain histories. Um, and if you have it on one side, you know, and a lot of times it's not even the dominant arm that, the you know, nervous says, well, why is it my left shoulder that hurts? It's of my right. Well, your left shoulder may not have been as used to that motion and you got it in the wrong spot. Tweaked it. I mean, there's always a little bit to understand, but when you take care of that problem on one side, it's not uncommon for us to see someone back within the next year or two for the same exact problem on another extremity that they just didn't realize how much that would hurt because the, you know, one was kind of taking the lead at the time. So,
1: you know. I also want to encourage patients that are discouraged when they meet with you and they just their mind doesn't work the way that yours does sometimes. And so sometimes they feel overwhelmed with the amount of knowledge that you're giving them and the amount of information that you're giving them in, in aspects of their brain that hasn't been.
0: They're stuck in a traditional exactly massage right. that way. Right.
1: So um, they're like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I just like surgery. Um, why? What? You, what do you mean injection? Or you know, you'll leave the room and they're like, okay, now what did he just say? And so like we, I mean, we have no issues in getting down to. I don't want to be like harsh, but like the elementary building blocks of okay. This is what's going on. We can do this. So we, we, can, we can totally spell that out for you. We
0: have worked. Look, I think if you don't understand the process, you can't simplify it for other people. I think that we all and the staff is really well educated on what we do. And we should be able to, anything worth doing, we should be able to simplify enough to where you understand the steps. Yeah. Um, we just may have to take you through a little bit more stepwise process. They
1: just need to ask yeah. instead of saying yes, yes. Yes. And, you know, because sometimes they're just overwhelmed. But if they were just like, hey, Dr. McKenna, so when you say this, what do you mean by that?
0: There is a reason for everything we say and do. Uh, and, And if you want to know it and ask it, we should be able to explain it.
2: Absolutely. Well, I think this was a very informative episode. And I hope that everyone kind of understands more of our process. And especially having Ashley here, I feel like everyone gets to know how all the hands come together to make a beautiful and seamless, but sometimes complex process happen. And I think this was a really beneficial episode. Before
0: we cut out, any one problem that people ask more than anything else that we haven't talked about?
1: A problem?
0: An issue, a question, something you find yourself answering all the time.
1: Recovery, just recovery. What it looks like. How, How long until I can do this? How long until I can do this? you know, how long until I feel a difference, so.
0: And that is, the, it depends on where we're doing it, what the problem is, how bad, how far down the road you are. I mean, there's a lot of variables to that. So that's one of those things that is, is not cookie cutter. Um, and so that answer to that question is gonna be different for every body part we treat, every person we treat, based on how severe your films, how long it's been hurting. I tell people all the time, if you've been hurting for 10 years, don't expect it to feel better next week, right? <laughs> I mean, that's very difficult to, 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 to make up for 10-year injury. Now, if it's something is more acute, um, then then your response is going to be way quicker. But just because you have some old chronic problem doesn't mean we're not going to be able to get you better. For the most part, the less invasive approaches work really well on chronic issues that you are metabolically broken on and that we can repair. So You're
2: just walking that path with them. Yeah, which, you can always ask us to any of the nurses, Dr. Phillips, me, on what your specific recovery looks like, and we will get an outline for you. I mean, I think we directly go to Dr. McKenna to verify because, of course, everyone is special. Everyone is different. And so we have a We know a lot and,
0: more sometimes after yeah. I've had you asleep and examined you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, like, if I'm moving you around, there are times where I'm like, oh, this is going to be… And I move your shoulder around you feel all the scar break loose. You wake up in recovery room and you can put your arm over your head. Guess what? you're better. Yeah. Right? Like I, I, what's, what's my recovery? Well, what, you start swinging a golf club yeah. now, right? Yeah. And, and so we're not going to wait because I don't want you to scar back in. And so there are a lot of times where once I have you asleep and have you expect the exam under anesthesia that we perform while we're doing part of this procedure, it gives us a lot more information sometimes you're, is what your recovery. You're doing be like. that
1: because their their muscles aren't contracting against you, and their pain's not stopping you from doing what you need to in order to thoroughly examine them.
0: Yeah, I mean we get a lot more um, interactive feedback with what we're doing.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: it sounds like there's a little construction going on behind us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, again, before we cut out, I want to make sure everyone knows we this is very heartfelt and genuine with with our effort. To be able to take you through this experience, we genuinely appreciate your trust um, and the um, opportunity to take care of you, and and we're going to work really hard on on continuing down this path of thinking outside the box on your behalf, uh, because it's what keeps us motivated, and 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 it's it's our it's our source of of how we kind of. That secondary gain for us is making people better. And so thank you for your trust.
2: Yes. Please like, subscribe, and leave comments below of you know more questions maybe we didn't answer and um, anything else that you would like us to potentially talk about in the future. All right, guys. I think we're signing off. We'll catch you next time.